Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we're going to be playing some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2022. We start the show by speaking with Eleanor Borg Nicholson. You might remember her from her novel about vampires and Dominican priests. This time she tells us about her new novel about Franciscans and werewolves. Yep, it's pretty different. After that, we'll meet singer-songwriter Kate Curran, who's recording her own version of some favorite classic hymns. In our second half hour, we will speak with Deacon Ed Schoner of the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers, who tells us about a new resource for those who've lost loved ones to suicide. And at the end of the program, we reconnect with Ryan Tremblay, who's moved to Nashville and has a few new singles. Remember that you can always listen to all our programs at eselmedia.org slash podcast, and you can reach me by email, pedro at eselmedia.org. We begin now with Franciscans and Werewolves. You may remember that about three years ago, we spoke about a novel about a Dominican priest and vampires. That novel was called A Bloody Habit. The author of that novel, Eleanor Borg Nicholson, now has another one, and this one is about Franciscans and werewolves. In this one, Dominican father Thomas Edmund Gilroy returns and joins a cast of characters, a stern nun, a young postulant, an English nobleman, and a young and charming neo-pagan heroine as they battle the forces of darkness and search for a Franciscan werewolf. Don't you want to know more? Well, here to tell us all about her new novel, Brother Wolf, I am now joined by Eleanor Borg Nicholson. Eleanor, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be back. So you could tell that I, I did a little summary there, which really was not a good summary at all. No, it was excellent. You were getting so many of the critical pieces. But so, I'm no, so, so, okay, good. Because for me, the, all the characters are very, like, for me, that was a huge part of the novel. Um, but there's so many different levels and elements and things going on. So I wanted to start by asking you, what is this novel about? Well, it's funny because I agree. I feel as if whenever I talk about the novel, I end up speaking about it from one of, say, three vantage points. There is the hunt for the Franciscan werewolf. So in this mythology I've constructed, the Franciscans help rehabilitate werewolves from their lycanthropic tendencies. But we have a relapsed werewolf. And the, there's a quest to regain him, largely led by his sister. So that's one element the the actual redemption we hope of this werewolf mm -hmm. but when she when his sister is embarked on this she's not the narrator in fact she was my first narrator and she drove me nuts so she was fired um she encounters my actual narrator who is the daughter of uh, an atheist scholar mm -hmm. who has dedicated his life to demythologizing the world d disenchant disenchantment of the world so he threw off his early attachment to the catholic church and he's raised this daughter whom he's named athena mm -hmm. and she's so desperate for enchantment and meaning in the world that as opposed to my narrator from my previous book who was an agnostic she's just so excited by all right. of these things that she encounters so you have sort of the athena side of things 
but if you have, so you've got the werewolves and you've got Athena's pursuit of meaning and knowledge mm. for something beyond the natural world. You also have, I think, a very critical theme of the occult of um, fathers and the ways that fathers connections with the occult can then injure and danger or even curse their children. Right. So I usually end up talking about one of those three threads, um, depending on what the readers, what really resonated with the reader. Okay, so let me ask you about the the werewolf part of it, because I mean, obviously, that's the title of, of the book, Brother Wolf. Um, where did you how do you come up with this, 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 this little world that you've created where Franciscans are reforming werewolves? I mean, how did you even come up with that? Well, this that's pretty that particular side i mean i joked when i finished a book about vampires i said well werewolves are next and it's got to be called brother wolf right and of course there's the old legend of saint francis and And saint francis and brother wolf so i thought oh this is just full of meaning but it actually came concretely from a conversation with my husband i had finished a bloody habit it was at the printer And I turned to my husband and held forth on how really a vampire victim was like an addict. So think of an addict as someone who has a radical predisposition to a certain weakness. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's different from my weakness, for instance, but my weakness as a fallen human being is also a radical predisposition towards some sort of weakness. Well, Mm -hmm. vampire victims, I said, they're just like addicts, which means they're just like all of fallen humanity. Well, my husband's a philosopher. He sort of nodded and listened. And two days later, he came back and he said, no, werewolves are like addicts. And then he starts this analysis of addiction and of lycanthropy. And I just sat there with my jaw on the floor saying, well, where were you while I was writing this other book? Anyway, so that helped me formulate the idea. And with my with study of the Franciscans, even to think about, well, they're in the Franciscan tradition, there's an emphasis on the will and handing your will over to God. So saying, well, then the Franciscans, if they were rehabilitating werewolves, they would be focusing on the will and harnessing the mm. will and disciplining the will. And how would that play out? Yeah. Um, so that's where all my Franciscans came from. Um, and I have a range of them sort of sprinkled through the novel. Yes, you do. No, and it's an interesting idea that, I mean, if we believe that, we can be rehabilitated, that everyone can, that everyone can be redeemed, then why not these quote unquote monsters, if they were real, maybe they are, um, that that's an interesting idea. And that's exactly where the church would be. And maybe the Franciscans would be at the forefront, of course, right? Definitely. And I think too, it speaks to the idea that in our sinfulness, It's interior, but it's also exterior. So the vamp, I'm sorry, not the vampire, the werewolf can be acted upon by the influence of the moon and folklore tradition says it could be a predisposition to drugs. It could be dabbling in the occult. All those things can be part of it. But when you encounter divinity, according to the ancients, you'd be exploded, you'd be destroyed. Well, we Mm -hmm. as Christians yearn to encounter God and to be radically made new. So that's also a redemption of the metamorphosis narrative that you see as far back as ancient mythology. So um, that wasn't that was a major contributor as well. My brother teased me and said, "You spent, you know, over a decade just obsessing about vampires, and finally wrote your novel. But how long have you obsessed about werewolves?" And I said, <laughs> "I've obsessed about werewolves since I read my first book of myths at about the age of seven. Oh so there you go." 
metamorphosis is very a fascinating topic, especially when it's Christianized. Yeah, no, and that that I think is 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 fascinating. Would you say then, and this is not a cop out on my part because I think that all novels, in a way, are about you know about fighting the real forces of good and evil but is that kind of what what you're getting at i mean it's a good story and there's lots going on and it's about you know father daughter relationships and all that as well but is it really at its at its crux about fighting the real forces of good and evil whether they're outside of us or inside of us absolutely and i think that all good novels even if it's on a very small scale, are recapitulating the sacred narrative. So the, mm-hmm. the fallen man and his desire for redemption. I mean, you see that in everything from a Dickens novel to Dostoevsky to Shakespeare to P.G. Woodhouse to yep. Agatha Christie. Yes. So good novels have that kernel, the yearning of man to be united with God. Um, and in a Gothic novel, you can get away with talking about that outright because we're talking about life and death, salvation and damnation. You can't You can't do that in a sort of, domestic comedy that will just come off as cloying and proselytizing but here definitely the we care about souls i care about the souls of my characters um uh, and you as a reader i hope people are relating to them and yearning for them to be saved because if there isn't a question of salvation it's going to be sort of a boring story the stakes won't be really high if it's not Mm. we want you redeemed but you could go the other way. Well, and that's that I was going to say that. Thank you. Because that for me was one of the, if I can say more frustrating parts, because I thought ah, he's not going to get redeemed or what, you know, like, 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 oh, right. And, and I'm not going to give away the ending, but, uh, but, but I think that that's what made it real for me that it could it's, go either way. It's funny you say that because I have a, my cousin's husband was reading the book and he wrote to me and said, oh my goodness, I love this character. And I had that horrifying moment as an author thinking, well, that particular character, I know what's going to happen to that particular character. Oh no. Well then when he finished the book, I said, can you forgive me? He said, oh no, it made sense. And then you gave me this other character to be attached to, to recover from my, you know, dismay and horror he said but it it, it has to be coherent yeah. um but yeah no this one i also felt someone teased me after a bloody habit and said you don't have the guts to kill a character so this one i thought mm. well do i have the guts to kill characters i think i might well I and you you, you also brought brought in these new characters that i wonder if they're gonna pop out as a cast together again in maybe the next novel that would be really fun, although they haven't shown up yet in uh, the manuscript so- that I'm working on so far. Okay. Although, I don't know if you remember, last time we spoke, you said, well, when are you going to get to the Jesuits? And I might be working with the Jesuits right now. I forgot I asked you that. Okay, good. So we've done the Dominican. We have a Dominican. We got the Franciscans and Jesuits. Okay, very good. I'm looking forward to that one. Um Good. I'm glad that you're working on the next one so we can get you back on the show. Eleanor, it's so good to... Uh, to see you, to, to speak with you, and thank you for writing the book. Brother Wolf, um, thank you, Eleanor, for telling us all about it today. Thank you so much for having me back. Eleanor Borg Nicholson is the author of The Letters of Magdalene Montague and A Bloody Habit. Her latest is Brother Wolf, published by Chrism Press. Here now is Kate Curran with Godhead Here in Hiding. Godhead here in hiding 
Kate Curran with Godhead Here in Hiding. Kate Curran is originally from Ireland, and she is now the director of youth ministry at Christ the King Cathedral in Atlanta, Georgia. She has been making music for 10 years, and as you have been hearing, she has a unique contemporary folky sound that works so nicely with some of our most beloved traditional hymns. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Kate Curran. Kate, it's good to meet you. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. You too, Deegan. Thank you so, for, so much for having me. It's good. And now you, I have to apologize because I, I did say that you've been making music for 10 years, but I have a feeling that you've been making music <laughs> for a lot longer than 10 years. A little years. longer. Yeah, a little bit longer, I suppose. Yeah, I, I actually started uh, my music journey when I was about nine or 10 years old. Um, I My family are from Kerry, but my parents had moved to a, a county called Limerick and, and they moved back when I was about nine or 10. And to, to occupy myself, I discovered... Um, that there was a local wind ensemble and there was there was music lessons available and my neighbors were going so i i joined in because we were it was in the countryside so right. um just to have something to do i started attending music lessons and and i picked up the trumpet okay i was, was gonna ask beginning. you yeah. i did find a picture of you <laughs> and you have your trumpet yeah so, Okay, but there's no trumpet in any of the songs we've heard so far. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, no. Um, Is there? Oh God, yeah. Oh, God, beyond all praising, there's brass. Did I miss a trumpet? Okay. And yeah. that's you playing. That's me playing. Yeah. Okay, but not at the same time as you're singing. <laughs> no, sadly, I, I'm, I'm not. Um, uh, I haven't been gifted any special, special, no, like no. by location, like St. Padre I don't have the, the gift of playing two instruments at once. Okay, so wait, let me let's back up a bit. So you grew up in Ireland and you said in mm-hmm. Kerry and then you moved to Limerick. Um I presume you came from a, a a Catholic family? Correct, yeah. I was the youngest of six and my parents are, thank God, very, very faithful Catholics and, and raised us in a very faithful home. Mm-hmm. Um so attending Mass. I, I have beautiful memories of, of praying the rosary as a child when I was, you know, as young as four. Mm-hmm. Um and my I've I don't know if I have this memory from my own recollection or, or whether it's just something that my mom told me, but I have a, 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 an image of my, in my head of, of her taking me by, by the hand and walking to daily mass as a toddler. So very, very, um, very, very Catholic home. Yeah. Um, thank God. And, and I have my, my parents to thank for that. Yeah. And, and was it a musical household or were you the Not necessarily yeah, outlier, I was the, yeah. yeah the outlier I think there was music in my family when I when I talked to my parents about this that like my my grandmother I think played the concertina which is um, an Irish instrument like a traditional Irish instrument so um there was and my father is um he was never trained or anything but he loves to sing he's a he's a definitely an, a born entertainer so okay. he he loves to sing and play guitar but he was never formally trained so there was there was there was a little bit of that growing up in my household but um I was really the first yeah I think we always we, we we here in North America we imagine you know Irish families and there's always music and everybody's yeah. playing music <laughs> gathered so around the fire yeah yeah exactly all the relatives would come over and and, yeah. and they're singing um, so you said that you started you were you got interested in playing the trumpet and you were at mm-hmm. at, at age nine ten yeah. um, at what point did did it become more of a serious thing maybe when you started maybe writing some yeah. of your own songs yeah I I think. I I knew pretty early on that it was it was serious. Um, so by the time I was fifteen or sixteen, I knew that this is something that I wanted to study professionally. So I went to to college okay. and and I studied my de- my degree was in um, 
music performance. So I studied at the Cork School of Music in Ireland. Okay. Um, and in terms of the, the guitar was introduced into my life and I, I didn't start singing until much later. I mean, I would sing in my bedroom a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, I was very focused on, on, on the trumpet. And when I went to college, I was with other... I, I lived and my, a lot of my friends were professional singers. So I didn't, cat, I didn't, I wasn't um, putting myself in that category of, of, of singer um, for, for a, a long time. And it took, it took a little while to develop that, but right. um, I started writing songs, I think in, in probably in my early twenties. Okay. Um, yeah. And so what, I mean, you, you work as a youth minister Mm-hmm. Um, you studied music. I don't know if you thought that maybe you would have a, a secular music career. I kind of don't know where you were in your faith, yeah. but I have a sense that you were strong in your faith. So I t- fill in some of the pieces for me. Yeah, but. sure. So I, I, unfortunately, like a lot of people, I did, I did have a, a period in my life that I um, just struggled to live a virtuous life. I, I yeah. always had the conviction that God was real. I never had a, I had never any contest with the, with the, the teachings of the church in regard to I knew that they were right I knew I knew that the that the church held truth goodness and beauty within it and mm-hmm. um and it and um but but I struggled somewhat like I I, I always related to Saint Augustine my prayer was like Lord make me holy but just not today <laughs> just that, I've yeah, got yeah. these other things I want to do and, and yeah. of course being in in a musical environment in a secular environment it was very easy to just to get lost in that lifestyle so I did my college years I I definitely um walked away from from my 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 catholic faith and just um never denying it but but just not practicing mm-hmm. and um in that in that period was when i began to develop um i guess as a guitar player and a singer just kind of um honing that craft which is you know it's a fruit of, of that period i guess but um my yeah my faith wasn't wasn't a big part of my life at that point then i thank god again through the prayers of my parents they they kind of knew where the path i was on and knew it wasn't a good one and they were praying for me and um i had a conversion thank god and i think it was 2012 or 13 so almost 10 years 10 okay. yeah 10 years ago and um that just completely changed the direction of my life i gave my life entirely to the lord and and with that i surrendered my gifts to him to be used to glorify him and um and so that led me into ministry first to to serve him um yeah okay yeah that's i guess that's where the 10 years comes in that, that it was yeah. about 10 years ago that that shift happened yes. um I'm, I, I love your sound. Um, why, why have you chosen to record traditional hymns? You, you sort mm. of Kate Curranized traditional <laughs> hymns. Um, yeah. What, what's, is there a special connection for you and the, and those yeah. hymns? There's, yeah, I guess there's a, there's a, that's a, that's a loaded question. I have, I have a lot of <laughs> reasons, I guess. One of them is um, I have a, a deep, affection for the tradition of our church and um the history that we have and, and the treasures that are that are that can be found within it and and to me um even a, even though i'm a creative person um i can never in my opinion at least i, I can't compete with lyrics as profound and as beautiful as saint thomas aquinas mm. so i wanted to represent those lyrics and those melodies um to 
um, this audience that we have today and, and um, kind of help them rediscover some of the treasures that are in the church. Um, but, but definitely giving up my stamp, my, yeah. my sound, as you say, but um, yeah. So that was one of the reasons is just a, a real affection for some of these beautiful hymns that we have and, and a desire to bring them to the forefront of, of Catholic worship. And one of the other reasons was as a, um, as somebody who leads people in prayer a lot with with praise and um, with worship and through music, um, their recognition. As grateful as I am for for the music in the Protestant church and that our brothers and sisters there have have been creating and, and leading people in, I had this hunger to, um, yeah, bring back to the forefront mm. Catholic hymns and Catholic identity and 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 kind of representing that in a new light to maybe just be a bridge between the old and the new. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. There is a rootedness to 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 those hymns, but as mm. you said, you've made them not only your own, you've made them new in a mm. way that even hearing them, I'm thinking, I don't remember that part. Or <laughs> I'm gonna have to listen <laughs> to the I'm gonna yeah. have to look at my hymn book and see if if it's if it's uh, if she changed it yeah. um, or how much. Now I presume the integrity of the hymn is still there. I uh, I think so. No, it, it, beautiful, beautiful, and I I mean, of course, I do hope that you're also writing your own music. Um, uh, you you might be able to compete with Saint Augustine or or, <laughs> or Saint Thomas Maybe. Aquinas. Maybe. Um, Kate, it's been great meeting you. Thank you for what you're doing. I I do hope that that there's more music uh, being recorded so that we can get you back on the program. And uh, it's been great meeting you and and listening to you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, thank you, and God bless and continue uh, continue blessing you in your ministry. Awesome, thank you. God bless. You can listen to Kate Curran's music on Spotify, on Apple Music. You can also find out more about her at her website, katecurranmusic.net, and it's Curran C U R R A N. Kate Curran Music, Kate with a K, katecurranmusic.net. I'll put that link on our site so you can find it easily. Um, and to listen to the interview again or to hear the rest of the program, go to slmedia.org slash podcast. And here now to take us out is Kate Curran with Doxology. listening to Kate Curran with Doxology. 
This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can check out our website at eselmedia.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Suicide is one of the leading causes of death in the United States, with some 46,000 deaths in 2020. That's about one death every 11 minutes. The number of people who think about or attempt suicide is even higher. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, in 2020, an estimated 12.2 million American adults seriously thought about suicide. 3.2 million planned a suicide attempt and 1.2 million attempted suicide. Still, too often, in our culture and in the Catholic Church, suicide is hidden. And to make matters worse, there are misconceptions about what the Church teaches about suicide. To help Catholics coping with the trauma of a loved one's suicide, the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers, in partnership with Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries, has produced an eight-part film series titled When a Loved One Dies by Suicide. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by the president of the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers, Deacon Ed Schoner. Uh, Deacon Ed, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me back, Deacon Pedro. It's good to have you back. I'm, I'm sorry that every time we talk, we have to talk about this very serious yet important um, um, topic. Um, yes, you're absolutely right. It's important to talk about this and get it out in the open. Yes. Deacon, your daughter, Katie, died by suicide. She had struggled with mental illness for many years. In her obituary, you chose to mention that fact. Why was that important? It was important because I'm the deacon here in our diocese, uh, in our diocese in Scranton, Pennsylvania, a deacon at our cathedral. And I thought it was important that our community would know what happened so that there wouldn't be any uncertainty about it. So, uh, and it was a way to protect my daughter in some ways, Deacon Pedro, so that they there wouldn't be any uh, uh, misunderstanding about Katie's death by suicide, that that did not define her. So I made it a point in the obituary to say mm. that she was a beautiful child of God, created in the image and likeness of God, and she wasn't defined by her mental illness or even her manner of death. She's defined by who she is, which is a wonderful, beautiful child of mm -hmm. God. And uh, anyone that's grieving a suicide needs to remember that, that God created their loved ones who died by suicide and and in many ways, God was there at the moment of their death, and he knows it was horrible, just as we know it was horrible. And he welcomed them into his merciful arms, and we all who are grieving a suicide need to remember that. Would you, I mean, I don't know if you had already thought about that before Katie died, or if that was something that you realized at the moment, because I would think that most Catholics, most Christians, people of faith, would 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 not want to disclose that that they would want to keep that hidden would you say that 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 is because there's a stigma yes there's a stigma. and two realities here to talk about deacon pedro i'm glad you that's a good question that you asked is one i will tell you the parents have and i've since now have done ministry with many parents who children live with mental illness and it's always in the back of our minds it's always in the back of our minds. Maybe we don't explicitly talk about it, but that worry is always there that they could die by suicide, particularly if they have a serious mental illness with like bipolar disorder or depression or schizophrenia. That's, that's always a worry because uh, that, that's all too often the way uh, these illnesses can, term, can end. Uh, 
The other concern about the uh, the stigma that's out there with suicide and mental illness, yeah, I guess that's what I wanted to do in my own small way is chip away with that stigma in Katie's obituary. Uh, you know, I know full well as a deacon, I'm just a, a you know a, a small player in the Catholic yeah. Church by any means, uh, but I at least wanted in my community to know that uh, that this is something that we need to talk about and that we. That Christ uh, wants to be in the midst of all of this and wants to shine His light into the to the depths of these, these this sorrow, and uh, that we can don't need to be afraid about talking about it and uh, and loving and consoling each other as we struggle with this through this type of grief. Yeah, the church's teaching on suicide has changed as our awareness of mental health issues has deepened. Um, most people, I think, still are are confused about that. What does the church teach about suicide? Yeah, it's still hanging out there. The church's teaching on suicide has evolved as we've developed a deeper understanding of the psychology of suicide and mental health uh, challenges. The, the old teaching was is that uh, you couldn't have a mass if they died by suicide. They couldn't be buried in a Catholic cemetery. And it was uh, it, it just wasn't a, a healthy teaching uh, mm -hmm. it was the best they could do given their understanding of the situation at the time but uh saint pope john paul ii revived under his leadership it was revised in the mid-90s when the catechism got revised so the church now teaches of course you shouldn't kill yourself you shouldn't kill anyone that's that's for certain but uh, it understands that uh, severe uh, mental health issues and stress and strains and, and fear can lead someone to, to suicide, and that reduces the culpability of it. Right. So the church now prays for people that have died by suicide. My daughter Katie had a beautiful funeral. She's buried in her, I visited her grave in our Catholic cemetery. So that teaching has changed. And, you know, science goes hand in hand with faith. And we're having a deeper understanding of the psychiatry and psychology of, of suicide now. Mm -hmm. And that's totally consistent with our faith. And our faith, of course, tells us that uh, uh, the death is not the end. There's always the resurrection and that we can, that's where we place our hope and knowing that our loved ones fell in the loving arms of, of Christ, who's a better psychologist and psychiatrist <laughs> than anyone here on earth. And he yeah. certainly understands the pain and suffering that uh, came along with the suicide. And that's what we entrust our loved ones to. Yeah. And that, and that's the question I know I've been asked, you know, is my son okay? They, they, up here, they might get it. Yes. I understand that, that they had an, you know, they struggled and they had an issue. God is merciful, but is my son, is my daughter okay? And of course I always tell them yes, but that's yes. a hard one to understand down here in the heart. Yes, it, it is. It is a hard one to understand. We talk about that in the movie, Bishop Dolan and I, who was my co-editor, who is the Bishop of Phoenix, and he yep. knows well this heartache too, because he's lost three uh, siblings to suicide, plus a brother-in-law. So uh, yeah. we do talk about the church's teaching on this, and, and are, is our, our loved ones okay? And our answer is, is that they've fallen into the loving mercy of Christ, like I've said, and uh, the church's teaching is, is just that. We leave the judgment to Christ. It's not ours to judge anyone who's died, whether they died by suicide or any other means. It's is that we place all of our hope in God and don't... Uh, uh, and don't try to replace our own judgment, our own fears yeah. for, for Christ's fears. So, you know, what I tell someone, uh, if someone wants to, you know, appreciate something may I've done, maybe I've done for them, they ask me, what can I do for you, Deacon? I always say, you can buy a mask card for my Katie. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and have a mass said for her. And I think that's what we can do is we can continue to pray continue for our loved one who's died uh, and know that they are, are with Christ and that we're joined to them. They mm -hmm. haven't disappeared either. It's not like they disappeared into the ether um, and they still very much exist. And we continue to be bonded to them through our prayers and through our faith. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're okay. Yeah. And they're I guess okay. we, we, we believe that they're no longer in pain. Um, the, the series, there are eight, eight videos. Uh, can you give us a, a brief kind of overview of kind of what topics it covers? Each one of the videos. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Each one of the, uh, films are, a, a, a Catholic uh, leader uh, reflecting on the uh, the loss of a loved one to suicide. So like mentioned Bishop Dolan, Monsignor Charles Pope, who's, who's well known in many uh, areas of the church, lost his sister to suicide, and, and other people, Letitia Adams, lost a son to suicide. So they reflect on the experience of losing someone to suicide, how it's affected their faith, how their faith supported them. And each film ends with uh, prayers to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Mary. And uh, it can be used either uh, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, looking at your own computer uh, as you help you grieve, but also for grief support groups, maybe in a parish uh, or within a diocese, they'll want to offer a grief support group mm -hmm. for those who have lost someone to suicide. So there's a facilitator's guide and a participant guide that goes with each one of the films too to, to help with, uh, with uh, this process of reviewing the films and, and trying to process uh, the message of hope that we're trying to offer through these films. Right. Yeah. It's a wonderful resource and it's available for free, of course. It's it's for free on our website, on the Sanctuary website, and also on the Ave Maria Press website that right. published the books. So yes, we want it to be viewed as widely as possible. And, and it's not just for people that have lost someone to suicide. It's also for people that maybe want to understand this more deeply. Uh, I would say any Catholic uh, leader in a parish community might want to take a look at the films uh, and particularly the one in the church's teaching on suicide mm -hmm. and get a deeper understanding of, of, of what's going on here and to be able to accompany parishioners when the inevitable suicides occurs because it you know it's it as you said earlier Deacon Pedro it yes. is a leading, leading cause of death and every parish will experience it absolutely um thank you and and this is what we're doing here we're talking about it we're we're educating ourselves and that way we can help ourselves and others as they as they uh, struggle with uh, with the pain of losing someone or of 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 just understanding what the church teaches. Uh, Amen. Deacon, thank you for doing this, Deacon Pedro. Thank you for what you do, and uh, um, we'll we'll talk soon. Okay. Deacon Ed Schoner is the co-author of Responding to Suicide: A Pastoral Handbook for Catholic Leaders, and When a Loved One Dies by Suicide, both published by Ave Maria Press. He is the president of the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers. The video series, When a Loved One Dies by Suicide, can be watched for free at their website, catholicmhm.org, and through Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries and Ave Maria Press. If you or anyone you know needs help finding support or crisis resources, in the United States, you can dial 988 to access the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, and in Canada, you can dial or text 45645. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Ryan Tremblay, with his new single, Kindness and Love. By leaving his mark so deep in my heart, he showed me the way. I am to make my own 
That was Ryan Tremblay with his new single, Kindness and Love. I met Ryan Tremblay at World Youth Day in Krakow. We reconnected again for World Youth Day in Panama. By then, Ryan had got married, became a father of triplets, had lost his sister to cancer, published his first album and EP, and now he has moved to Nashville and has several new singles that we've been listening to. So it's a good time to catch up with him. Um, Ryan Tremblay, it's good to see you, my friend. Welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks so much for having me, Deacon Pedro. It's always an honor to be on your show. So, um, you, uh, I do want to talk about the move to Nashville, but so that was all happening like during the pandemic. What was what was the last the last two years like for you guys? Yeah, so I originally planned on moving to Nashville in April of 2020. <laughs> and <laughs> good timing. I I was even going to move before the family, before my wife, before my kids, and and uh, just because there was a lot of musical momentum happening at that time yeah. around my my career. And then the pandemic struck, and so it became real evident that that would not be a good game plan to stick with. That we should go ahead and and wait a little bit. Right. And so. 
we we did just that. We we hang out. Or we hung out in Rhode Island uh, for uh, well, I suppose it was. 2020 right the spring of 2020 all the way to the summer of 2022 that we finally actually all then made the move together to nashville which in hindsight uh that was the better way to go about it and and we're so uh thrilled to be here now finally so what was i mean your kids were little i i I, you'll have to tell me how old they are now the triplets um because i looked at the picture and they looked a lot bigger than i thought that they would be i guess time flies Um, (laughs) yes it it does it does so they are seven years old now oh my gosh so yeah that's right i think when we saw each other uh well well, when we first met one another in in poland at world youth day they were just a year old yeah and then when we saw each other again in world youth day in, in panama 2019 there uh, they they were four years old and now they're seven. So they're seven, it's, so it's, it's crazy. I guess you guys just hunkered down through the through the pandemic. They were in school or not in school, and um, how yeah, was they, that? Yeah, they were in school. It was crazy when the pandemic struck because uh, we were just starting to feel somewhat of a relief uh, with them. Uh, being taken care of uh, either by our, our nanny at the time or uh, the, the school that they were in. Um, and then when all that support kind of dropped because everybody, you know, hunkered down, yeah. it, it was it was real apparent that uh, we had not escaped <laughs> the the uh, chaos of having triplets. It, yeah. it, we felt like they were newborns all over again, really just being wow. stuck in the house. And uh, but. It was it was great to, to go through that time uh, together and now as a family, uh, yeah, 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 and and now it's 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 great to be finally on the other side of that. Um, but for me, professionally speaking, there was a yep. lot of li- live streams that I was okay. doing, and then remote recording uh, with right. people in Nashville. Uh, headed <laughs> headed to Nashville was recorded remotely. At least the instruments. Really. Uh, kindness and love was remote uh and so yeah all so, that was being so well let's i i did want to ask you about that because a lot of uh, most of the songwriters that i've spoken to this year have said that that those two years were actually very they were difficult but they were fruitful in that even though you weren't performing um you were actually creating so you you had the same experience definitely definitely and and it was great time to offer up in song all my hopes and dreams for what could maybe happen once this pandemic uh came you know came to came to pass and so uh it's it was fun to sing about heading to nashville even yeah. though cl- clearly we were not <laughs> heading to nashville yeah that's fun at the moment and and yeah a lot of songs came out of that season and uh i'm really happy and excited to be able to share those songs with people not only in 2022 but into 2023 as well. So thinking back at your 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 EP Trust mm. that's like packed with a lot of very kind of powerful uh, if I can say uh uh tracks and the music that you're writing now these three or the two that we've heard so far and we're going to end the the show with another one um has anything changed for you in terms of what you're writing about or your writing process or or kind of wh- where you are in terms of your own own journey? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, uh, one of the big 
reasons to to move to Nashville, believe it or not, was the drumming community. Yeah. Um, I've I've as a drummer myself, uh, and sort of myself aiming to be a Christian Phil Collins, if you will, uh, yeah. being able to present that sort of live show to people. Um, Jim Riley, who plays drums for Rascal Flatts. Uh, Rich Redmond, who plays drums for Jason Aldean. I've befriended these gentlemen. And uh, what's been great is that they have been able to uh, really give me encouragement. And, and specifically, Jim Riley from Rascal Flats, he's been able to uh, take a listen to uh, a lot of the songs that I've written and put a country pop oh, yeah. spin, spin on them. And so that's actually who Headed to Nashville is produced by and also Kindness and Love. And so now you can start to hear... Really, for me, Deacon Pedro, something I feel is sort of a coming home to a genre that I wasn't necessarily thinking about before. I, I don't know why I hadn't thought about, about it yeah. before, but for me, the the sounds of dobro, uh, fiddle, uh, mandolin, uh, of course, acoustic guitar, anything that lends it to itself to country music produced in a modern way, that to me uh, is is like coming home. So really? now. Yeah, now to be here in Nashville uh, and having that uh, in my cans when I'm recording or eventually live, uh, it's 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 really great. And I think the Christian industry in general has really we've experienced a crossover of country and Christian. It's always been there. They've they've talked about how those styles mm -hmm. kind of complement one another, but mm -hmm. specifically. I think with Chris Tomlin and friends and releases like that, where you hear this country Christian crossover, it's really popular. So for me, I just can't wait to get out there and offer this new fresh sound that by the way, sounds great uh, in, in a Catholic church. It's yes. I mean, when you, when you think about those instruments, just country instruments, they, they reverberate just beautifully anywhere they are. So uh, I'm excited just to bring this offering to yeah. people and, and be traveling from Nashville, the heart of it all. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm going to have to listen to, to the songs again with that, with that in mind. Um, so you've, re you've been releasing singles. I know that you sent me three. I don't know if there are more. Is the hope that there's going to be an album eventually? Are you right? Continually writing more stuff? Yes, definitely. And the collaborations, especially now that I'm okay. in Music City, are opening up more and more and more. I'm working with uh, Seth Mosley and X O'Connor, who produce uh, many uh, albums and, and singles and releases of For King and Country. Mm -hmm. So they, they are taking my uh, Christian Phil Collins vision uh, and, and bringing that to life in the studio. So this week, actually, I'll be in the studio recording a new single called Glow in the Dark with them. And I actually am going to feature the Holy Rosary Academy Children's Choir. It's a private school here in Nashville uh, that my family's affiliated with. Okay. And so uh, the Children's Choir is going to accompany me on that song. Oh, how uh, fun. Produced by Seth and X. And so I'm really excited about that. That's going to be coming out in 2023. And I also have a song called Beacon Street that I wrote uh, uh, about a very special place to me back in Rhode Island uh, that really taught me how to see the light in the darkest of times. Uh, and so that's, again, called Beacon Street. That's going to be coming out in 2023. That's produced as well by Jim Riley. Um, and then I have uh, a couple of other fun songs that I'm going to okay. be releasing as well. So you've yeah. been busy keeping yourself busy. That's, that's good. And, and lots of creative juices flowing. Sounds like it. Um, yes. And I know that you've got your, your, your boys are also singing and I know your wife also sings. So maybe, maybe next time you're on the show, we can uh, feature the whole family. I think that would be fun. That would be great. 
my hope is that we can all take the trip to World Youth Day this time around as Ooh. a family, and I could feature my wife. She has a single coming out. Uh, the Ave Maria will be coming out uh, okay. on December sixteenth, yes. and then my boys. We have to have more songs recorded by them, of course, other than the Chipmunk song "Christmas Don't Be Late," which is has been released. So but, much fun! Yes, yes, we're we're going to be as a family. We're going to be touring this December, okay. and. Uh, so it's exciting, Deacon Pedro, because that means that the foundation through the yes. Christmas season is yes. being being established for us to go out and do the family thing, you know, and 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 hopefully inspire generations. And and my hope really is that the boys can, um, you know, grow up uh, in the trenches with me, see how it's done, and they'll have this. Uh, hopefully ability when they're older if they decide to go into music and ministry where they say okay this is going to be a continuation of what dad started for us as opposed to how do we do this where do we begin i can share hopefully some of my you know fan base with them and uh that, that'd be my gift back to them the next that would generation. be great okay looking forward to all of that ryan <laughs> So good to reconnect. Uh, glad you guys are doing well and that you're enjoying Nashville. And uh, I'm looking forward to the to the next couple songs that are going to make this album so that we can get you guys back on the show. Thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. You can learn more about Ryan Tremblay, about his music, and how to bring him to your event at his website, ryantremblaymusic.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. Um, if you missed any part of the interview, you can head on over to our website, eslmedia.org slash podcast. All our programs are archived there. And here now to take us out is Ryan Tremblay with his new single, Without a Doubt. I cried out to the silence looking for a sign Some hope to Pull the light through And bring me back to life to Ryan Tremblay with his new single, Without a Doubt. And that concludes this special best of edition of the Salt and Light Hour. 
Remember to visit our website, slmedia.org, in order to find out everything that you want about us and how you can support our ministry. We cannot bring this program to you for free without your support. Thank you for your donations. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Write to me and say hello. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. <laughs>